Hello and welcome to the commentary for 351 Amos chapters 4 through 6. So this is a fun reading, isn't it? Just, um, I don't know, so light and joyful. Um, yeah, no, this is God's wrath. And, you know, God puts up with a lot and he is patient for a time. But there comes a time where he can take no more. And that's what we're coming up against. And the prophet Amos is warning Israel that that time has come. In the first verse of Amos chapter 4, if it caught you by surprise that he says, Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. I thought, how rude. <laughs> Can't believe a prophet of God would say something like that. So I wanted to share with you um, what that means and what he's referring to. He's referring to Israel's wealthy women. They were called fat cows, which is interesting. Um, but they were pampered, sleek, and well-fed like fat cows. So that's kind of where the association comes from. And, I mean, we see here it says, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and you're calling on your husbands to bring you another drink. So he's just kind of painting a picture of these women um, that he's taking issue with. So their desire for material possessions was so strong that they were willing to oppress others and displease God to get them. And if we're not careful, we can end up doing the same thing now. So you'll see a lot of comparisons in the way the Israelites lived at this time in the way that we live in America at this time. You could definitely draw an association. Verse 4 says, Go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. Offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three days. Present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so you can brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do, says the Sovereign Lord. So here Amos is being sarcastic and let me read. I'm going to refer to my study Bible a lot through this lesson. So he's being sarcastic. He invites the people to sin in Bethel and Gilgal, where they worshipped idols instead of God. Bethel was where God had renewed his covenant to Abraham with Jacob. At this time, Bethel was the religious center of the northern kingdom, and Jeroboam had placed an idol there to discourage the people from traveling to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to worship. Remember that? He said, oh, you don't have to go all that way. No, stay here. Here, I'll set up an idol for you and you can worship that. Um, Gilgal was Israel's first campground after entering the promised land. And it's, it's at Gilgal that Joshua had renewed the covenant and the rite of circumcision and the people had celebrated the Passover. Um, it was also the place that Saul was crowned Israel, Israel's first king. So I wouldn't call this a sacred place, but this was a place that was very important in the history of the nation. It was a symbolic place, full of rich history that would remind them of God's protection and provision, right? And then in Amos 4, uh, verses 6 through 12, it just says over and over again, God did all of these things to his own people. And it says a repeated phrase, but still you would not return to me, right? He sent famine. He prevented the rain from falling, caused drought, 
And it was very specific. Even one field would get rain and the one right next to it wouldn't. And he says, you know, that should have been obvious to the people that they needed to turn to God. But still, you would not return to me. And he struck the farms and vineyards with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured all the fig and olive trees. But still, you would not return to me, says the Lord. So there again, we have that theme that... Not all horrible things come from God. Sometimes things just happen um, because we live in a fallen world. But sometimes they do. Sometimes he says, you were not living righteous lives like the way I instructed you to. Therefore, I'm going to have to break you to get you to come to me. And he tries to do it over and over again. But either they didn't recognize it for what it was or... They were so complacent that they didn't care or didn't notice. I sent plagues on you, like the plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. He killed young men in war. I mean, he did. God is taking credit for all of these horrible things, right? We see a cycle with Israel that God, we see it over and over again, that God wants to be close to them. They, When they turn from their evil ways and cry out to him for help, he comes to them. He helps them. He loves them. He blesses them. He gives them victory. When they include God in their plans, they can do amazing things. But it's never from their doing. It's always because of God. And when they give credit to God, things go well for them. Like I said before, you know, they can do it the hard way or the easy way. Here they're trying, they're clearly doing it the hard way because God is doing, giving them trial after trial after trial to try to wake them up and they're not getting the message. I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but you still would not return to me. Therefore, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. Then Amos 5, Amos continues, he says here, listen to this funeral song I am singing. Here's the song I'm, I'm going to sing for your funeral. It's like they've already been destroyed. How shocking that must have been for the people of Israel when he's singing them their funeral song. Can you imagine? And see, the Israelites, they were so comfortable and proud because they started to think that they had caused their own success. They were arrogant. And they believed that their wealth gave them security. Don't we do that? When the economy crashes, you've heard of people burying their money, or they buy gold coins, or they move their money around, or they build a bomb shelter or whatever. When when we're faced with scary times, we do crazy things in hopes that those things will protect us. But our bomb shelters will not protect us. Our gold coins will not protect us. The only thing that will protect us and deliver us is God. And so Amos is stressing this to the people that they need to come to repentance. He says, I love this, um, verse 4, Now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. God isn't just saying through Amos, You guys are not listening. Here's your punishment. He's saying, come on, please. He is begging the people, come back. He's giving them specifics. This is what you need to do. 
Verse 6, come back to the Lord and live. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire, devouring you completely. Remember God? Remember him? Verse 8, it is the Lord who creates the stars, the Pleiades and Orion. These are constellations. He's trying to wake them up like... I know you think you're big and important, and I I know you think you've done all things, but remember God who created all of this, the heavens and the earth and the stars and all that we see? And he's so disappointed. They have fallen so far away from God. Verses 10 and 11 shows us that their courts had become corrupt and that they were not caring at all about the poor. Verse 11 says, you trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. So it's not that they just were unfair to the poor. It was that they made their circumstances worse. And remember, at this time in Israel, there were only two classes. There was no middle class. There was the rich and the poor. And the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. And it came to a boiling point where God could just not accept it anymore. He sees the struggles of the poor. He cares about the people in the lowest station. And it comes to a point where he says, no more, you will not do this. Let me read from my study Bible. It says, why does God put so much emphasis on the way we treat the poor and needy? Because how we treat the poor reflects our true character. We know we can expect nothing in return from the poor. Do we, like Christ, give without thought of gain? We should treat the poor as we would like God to treat us. If you want to know someone's true character, watch how they treat people who can do nothing nice in return for them. And then, as I said, he's making this plea to the people, come back to me and live. And... My study Bible says, I like this, it says, Sin seeks to destroy, but hope is found in seeking God. In times of difficulty, we need to seek God. Okay, verse 14 through 15. When I said they get specific instruction of how to turn back to God, this is it. So God always warns them through the prophets. And here is exactly what they need to do to save themselves. And by the way, this is not a suggestion This is a command. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. We see that as bad as it gets, all they had to do was turn their hearts to God. Repent. Have sincere hearts. God knows how how you're handling a situation, whether or not you're sincere. And he will have mercy. We've seen it time and time again. But they didn't. Because they didn't, the prophecy from Amos continues. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of heaven's army says. There will be crying in all the public squares and mourning in every street. Call for the farmers to weep with you and summon professional mourners to wail. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? But back then... And now too, but especially back then, honoring the dead was a big deal. And they wailed loudly. I mean, they made a spectacle of their wailing because it would be dishonoring if they weren't upset when someone they loved passed. And so they would even hire professional mourners for added effect. So what this passage is saying, when it says there will be crying in all the public squares and mourning in every street, 
They will run out of professional mourners. Everybody's going to be so busy mourning that they're going to have to call the farmers up from the farms to weep with them. That's how bad it's going to be. And then the warning continues in verse 18. What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here, you have no idea what you are wishing for. See, they think that they're good. They think it is well with their soul. And he's pointing out to them, it is not well with your soul. Also in regard to the day of the Lord, my study Bible says that the term the day of the Lord means the imminent destruction by the Assyrian army, okay, as well as the future day of God's judgment. Now for the faithful, the day of the Lord will be glorious. But for the unfaithful, it will be a day of darkness and doom. And then we see verses 21 through 24 when it says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. See, God knows the state of their hearts. This is not saying that he doesn't like to hear hymns of praise. He does, but he knows that it's coming from people with insincere hearts. See, they think that their wealth, their reputation, their big house, and their religious customs will save them. And what he's saying this is, in this passage is, not so much. Don't think that you're good, because you're not. You know, we see that reality in our churches as well. Verse 25, was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offering during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you served your pagan gods. Now, pagan religion allowed them to indulge in sexual immorality and to become wealthy through any means possible. Because they refused to worship and obey the one true God, they would cause their own destruction. So, God is saying, "You, I will send you into exile to the land east of Damascus. Now, this is punishment more than what was common because a lot of times God would allow them to be conquered. But this was more than that. They weren't just being conquered. They would be exiled, which means they're being taken to Assyria to be slaves. They're going back to oppression where, all, where it all began, right? They were slaves in Egypt. And God rescued them from Egypt. This is serious. God gave them so much. God had so much in store for them. He drove out the enemy before them to give them a promised land. He gave them everything. But they got a little too comfortable and complacent. And so then it starts talking about their lavish lifestyle. And it gives you an idea of just how rich the rich are. Verse 4 in chapter 6 says, How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches. And then it talks about what they eat. And they sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy themselves musicians. They don't have a clue, is what he's saying. And the when it gives the specific detail of the ivory beds, um, this just kind of gives you a picture of it because these ivory was imported. It was very expensive. And 
what a waste of resources, right? These people were so wealthy that they're wasting money. It's like today's version of having solid gold toilet seats, right? What a waste. Um, there's people starving in other countries. There's people around us that are struggling for a meal. So why would you waste God's resources, money that you've acquired through dishonest means by oppressing others, and now you're wasting it. So all of this luxury and all of this wealth makes people feel secure. But Amos is saying that God is not pleased when we isolate ourselves from others' needs. He wants us to care for others as he cares for us. His kingdom has no place for selfishness, or indifference. We must learn to put the needs of others before our wants. See, this is a message to us. This is our takeaway. Using our wealth to help others is one way to guard against pride and complacency. We're so focused sometimes on getting more and getting a bigger house and moving up in the world that we get sidetracked and we forget about people around us that are hurting Maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you're one of the hurting people. So anyways, that's where they're at. And uh, God is about to put them back in their place. Chapter 6, verse 8 sums it up really well. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his own name. And this is what he, the Lord God of heaven's armies, says. I despise the arrogance of Israel and I hate their fortresses. I will give this city and everything in it to their enemies. So, of course, that will be Assyria. So, that's where we leave off. Like I said, it's a happy, feel-good uh, kind of kind of book of the Bible, but it's necessary and it plays a big part in the history of the Israelites. So, that's it for today. Hope you all have a great day. I'll talk to you soon.